Y'all having fun yet? Amen. What a time of worship. Well, I've got all I need to work out. I've got some dumbbells. Got to be careful when you get my age. You'll strain something, picking two up at a time. I've got uh, push-up bars here. Uh, let's see. I got a yoga mat. I tell you what. I tell you that now that thing right there will hurt you when you do yoga on it. I'm just telling you. Especially at my age. I've got this thing does a little bit of everything. You can use it to push-up bar. It's a pull-up bar you put in the door. Uh, and then you know I try to eat right. That's kind of a joke. Got a little shaker bottle because you put protein shakes in there. I stole this from my stepson. And uh, high protein diet. Um, I mean, I got everything I need to work out and to uh, be in shape, to be pretty stout, right? I mean, I've got all the stuff, don't I? If I could just change my regular eating habits, I mean, I ought to be just one lean fighting machine, amen? But you can tell by looking at me that I'm not. Uh, I don't work hard enough to be in great shape, strong and lean and, and truly healthy. And so I'm a living example of the fact that you can have all of the workout material, all of the health stuff that you could possibly need, still look like me. Still not be healthy and in shape. I mean, all this stuff, I ought to be ripped. I'll be a monster. But you can have all that stuff, still not be in great shape because you don't put the work in that it takes. You don't do work with the stuff you got. Right? I mean, I've got it. But what makes it work is the work you put in with the stuff that you've got. We began a series last week in the book of Second Peter entitled Hope and Holiness When the Wolves Come In. We looked at First Peter, Hope and Holiness When the Heat Is On. Peter writing to the church in, in, in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, addressing the issue in First Peter of the persecuted church. How do you live with hope and in holiness when the heat of persecution comes? In his second letter, Peter is addressing the same people. We learn that from chapter 3, about verse 1. And he's writing to them now because not only are they being persecuted from without, they are being attacked from within. And the short version of the false teaching that's coming into this, this particular uh, region of churches is this. There's false teachers coming in saying, you know, Jesus said he was coming back. It's been a while. Where's he at? Jesus said he was coming back. You keep talking about the return of Christ, but he's still not here. Where's he at? I don't know if you can take God at his word. And by the way, if he's going to take that long, there's a lot of life to live in the meantime. So why are you being such a stick in the mud, living, you know, trying to walk so uprightly and circumspectly and holy, thinking this Jesus is coming back? He's not back. He's not coming back anytime soon. So just, just have a happy life. I mean, just do what you want to do because he may never come back. And so this is the false teaching that, Peter writes his second letter to address. Part one that we looked at last week, in verses one through four of chapter one, we looked at, the, uh, we looked at it under the heading, everything we need 
for everything needful. We read that a while ago. If you've got your Bibles out, you can kind of refresh yourself on it. Everything we need for everything needful. Everything needful for us as followers of Christ is a godly life in Christ Jesus. That's it. That summarizes the total of it. And God has given us, he says, everything we need. We looked at the truth that in our relationship with him, God has given us everything we need to follow Jesus. He's given us salvation. What does that mean? It means we have a relationship with God. It means we have his indwelling and divine power, verse 3, and we have his very great and precious promises. We have his word on how things can go in our lives, what's true about us in Jesus, what our hope is in the future, even in particular that hope of heaven, that hope of Jesus' soon return, Terrell. But not only that, how our salvation can be worked out in our lives and change the way we live and have impact on those around us for the glory of Christ. This morning we come to part two in verses five through 11 and and we go from everything we need for everything needful to, to part two, working hard to grow in godliness. Here's the truth I want you to take home with you from these verses. If we will work hard using All we have in Christ, that's key. That's the key phrase in the statement. If we will work hard using all we have in Christ, what is that? His divine power, his very great and precious promises to grow in godliness, we can live with great assurance of our salvation. How many of you want to live every day knowing that you know, having no doubts haunting your soul, being assured that you are a child of the living God. How many of you want to know that? Amen. You can, Peter says. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Now, he has just told us about the tr- fact that we can participate in the divine nature through the great promises of God. We can escape the corruption that's in the world. We have everything we need for life and godliness. In verse 5, he says this, for this very reason. Those words point back to what we just saw in verses 3 and 4. For this very reason, because you have everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That statement is a possibility. You can be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that truth ought to make you tremble. But whoever does not have them, that is these character qualities he's listed in verses five and six, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You are living as if you've forgotten your salvation, completely forgotten it. Therefore, verse 10, my brothers and sisters, hear the love of Peter for these people to whom he writes. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort Second time you've heard that, to confirm your calling and election. 
For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's good stuff. Let's break it down. I want to break it down into five five simple points. Remember, if we will work hard, if we will work hard using all we have in Christ to grow in godliness, we can live with great assurance of our salvation. That's what this passage is all about. First of all, I want you to see this truth. Number one, growth in godliness starts with the grace of God in Jesus. I want to be crystal clear This godliness is not to earn anything before a holy God. In fact, this godliness cannot be had apart from your salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Grace given to you, forgiveness and righteousness given to you by Christ. That is where growth in godliness starts. This is not a legalistic righteousness. This is not a a self-righteousness where you make yourself a better person by adding this little list of things the best you can. Not at all. That's why Peter says in verse 5, for this very reason. For what very reason? Remember, the reason is this. You can grow in godliness. You can make every effort to add all these things to your faith because you have everything you need for everything needful. You have everything you need for life and godliness, both in the promises and in the power of God himself through Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit who lives in you. The New Living Translation has it this way. The beginning of verse 5, instead of for this very reason, in view of all this... Verses 3 and 4, make every effort to respond to God's promises, to let that, all that you have do something in your life. And so I want you to see, first of all, growth in godliness starts with the grace of God in Jesus. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? You can't have this without first knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Secondly, Growth in godliness requires hard work. Not word, hard work. I looked down there and saw a D on the end of work. That's the problem. Hard work. Growth in godliness requires hard work on specific issues of the heart. That's what verses 5 and 6 make clear. Make every effort. This is the noun form of a verb that means to strain. It's used of a runner. It's what, the, what a runner does. I don't know anything about this on the level of running. But what a runner does at the very end of the race when they are stretching out their chest to the tape. They are busting a gut. They're giving it all they've got. They're pushing as hard as they can push. It's the final kick. And Peter says, we're to make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Growth in godliness requires hard work on specific issues of my heart and of yours. Now, these are the characteristics in those two verses of Christ himself, amen? Amen. This is, in effect, Peter's list of the fruits of the Spirit. If you go over to Galatians 5, and 23, you'll see some things that are very similar. It won't be an identical list, but it'll be awful close. These are character qualities of our Savior. 
And what that means is that these are all supernatural virtues that we cannot produce on our own apart from the power and the promises of God. Now remember, Peter's told us about that. He's told us that that by his power and promises, God has given us all we need to live in a godly life in, in Christ Jesus. And that in Christ, we've escaped the world's corruption. But understand, it is a supernatural gift. That's why the word divine is in verse 3 and 4. It's divine power. They're divine promises. Therefore, Peter is calling us, if you will, to act the miracle. If I do anything that shows the power of God, that includes God working in me, if I am participating in the divine nature, and if, and, if, and if what happens in my life is something bigger than me, that's a miracle, isn't it? Amen? Y'all okay with that? With that? Your salvation is a miracle, amen? I mean, we, we get all tore up when somebody gets healed, and we should. We should praise the Lord. I had a kindergarten teacher healed of cancer. I mean, the doctor's... They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. It was there one week. It was not there the next week. 17 biopsies. I mean, we should, we, get, we should get all jacked up about that. But here's the deal. Your salvation is a greater miracle. It's the greatest miracle of the history of the universe. Hello? And so Peter is calling us to act the miracle. What do I mean by act the miracle? Well, that's a phrase John Piper coined, and, and, and it's a good one. We've been given the ability to live a miracle. Our part is to believe the promises and stand in the power and act the miracle. Do, trusting in his power, trusting in his promises, simply obey and act out a miracle. Do something that we can't do on our own because in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have that strength. Peter is calling us to believe the promises, and bank on the power that we have in Jesus and live out a supernatural, God-given godliness in our everyday lives. That's what our lives ought to look like. Supernatural, God-given godliness that you can't explain any other way. If you can explain it just because you're a nice guy, it's probably not from God. If you can explain it just because you're a sweet lady, it's probably not from God. It's supernatural and God-given contrary to our own personal natures and personalities and characteristics and all that, amen? That's what we're being called to here. This list is basically a breakdown of the godliness that comes from faith, that's first on the list, in Jesus. It's where it all starts, like we said at the beginning. It's, it's this faith that flows from a relationship with God through Jesus. The, the word faith in this context even speaks of that relationship when you go back and look at verse 1 when Peter says, I'm writing to people who've received a faith, a relationship with God through faith as precious as mine. And so the list begins with faith, faith and notice the list ends with love. Peter's not the only one that, that sees this connection. Now, I'm not going to break down everything in between because really everything in between, if you, if you look at it, has something to do with your relationship to God through faith or your relationship to men in love. And if you back up from love through, that, through, those, through those verses, you see 
in love, a lot of those characteristics, they kind of stack up and are all wound together and bundled together in love. As Paul would say in another place, uh, that the greatest of all these things is love. But in Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. What's he talking about? He's saying it's not about law-keeping or law-ignoring. It's, it's not about religious rules or the lack thereof. The only thing in Christ Jesus that counts is faith expressing itself through... Anybody got a guess as to how it expresses itself? Through love. The only thing that counts in Christ, here's the sum total of the Christian life. You trust Jesus, you connect with God, you have this father-son, father-daughter relationship. What counts is not the checking off a bunch of rules or the lack thereof. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Jesus said the great commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. What does it mean to know Jesus and live for him? It means to trust him with all your heart and love him with all you got and love people. Love the world enough to tell them the gospel. Love your neighbor enough to serve them even though you don't like them. Love, love. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Why, Paul? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Paul says, you got to work out what he's already put in. Peter says he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Now, get busy and get holy. Make every effort to add to your faith a godly life. And you know, that ought to make us tremble. That's why Paul says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with deep reverence and fear, because just to think that God is working in me, first of all, the desire to do good, to live holy, and the power to do what pleases him. We are, in reality, as Peter says, participating in the divine nature when obedience happens in our lives. And that will make us quake in our shoes. Growth in godliness requires hard work on specific issues of the heart. How hard are you working? You got all the stuff. Do you ever pick it up? Do you ever press it out? How hard are you working to grow in holiness? Thirdly, growth in, ho growth in godliness keeps us from becoming useless to our Father. I, that phrase, I, I literally tremble when I read that phrase, that I could be useless to the God who saved me. That's what this text says. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... No stagnancy in the Christian life. No, no, no plateauing. I mean, it happens, but the point is it's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to be increasing and growing in godliness. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I can't help but think that as Peter penned those words, he thought back to the night Jesus, night before Jesus died. Because what happened to Peter's knowledge of Jesus that night it was useless and ineffective it was ineffective and unproductive because what did he do three times that night he denied the truth that he even knew Jesus 
There was no divine nature, participation in the divine nature. There was no power of God flowing through him there in that courtyard. There was nothing but useless faith in the life of Peter. He knew what it was to have a faith that was ineffective and unproductive. He knew what it was to, in those moments, be useless to his father. Now, God, we know, took that and changed Peter, and Peter became the rock. Peter became, I mean, he became, he was just on fire. God used him to spread the gospel so strong. And write these two letters. But understand, growth in godliness keeps us from becoming useless to our Father. John MacArthur says the reason some people have so hard a time figuring out what Christianity is all about is because there are Christians who manifest no fruit. They make the claim, but there's nothing to support it, and that's very confusing. It's amazing, but a believer can be just as barren and just as fruitless as an unbeliever and therefore completely indistinguishable from an apostate, an evildoer, a superficial, false Christian, and of absolutely no use to God. And that ought to scare you. That ought to make us tremble. That ought to make us examine ourselves. Amen? Growth in godliness keeps us from becoming useless to our Father. How do, you, how do you avoid being useless to your Father? You get serious about what we're talking about today and you do what Peter says. You make every effort to add to your faith godliness and all the rest of that list that culminates in love. You make that your mission in life. Fourthly, growth in godliness shows that we remember our salvation. not going to say a whole lot about this because it says it all in verse 9. But whoever does not have them, that is this list of character qualities, these fruits of the Spirit, if you will, this clear manifestations, these clear manifestations of the divine nature in our lives, these, these, these character qualities that show God is here. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed of their past sins. Have you forgotten your salvation? See, here's the deal. You can't remember your salvation and not be growing in in godliness. It's not possible. Because you see, remember, the holiness we're talking about is a grace-motivated holiness. And if you've got a picture of the beauty of Christ and the beauty of the grace of God, if you're remembering verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter 1, if you're remembering all that you've got in Jesus, if you're remembering the promises, if you're remembering his grace and his righteousness, verse 1, given to you freely, accepted by faith, if, you, if you're remembering your salvation, it moves you. He moves you because he lives in you by his spirit. Amen? Oh, God, help us from forgetting our salvation and help us grow in godliness and so show that we remember and know well our salvation. Fifthly and lastly this morning, growth in godliness is the means to personal assurance salvation. Verse 10 and 11 make it clear. Therefore, 
since not having these character qualities in your life means you're nearsighted and blind and that you've forgotten your salvation, here's something you need to do. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, listen to me. I'm pleading with you. Make every effort. It's there again. Strain, bust a gut with everything you've got. Reach forward to confirm your calling and election. Make every effort to make your calling and your election sure. Work as hard as you can to make it confirmed that you are a child of the king. Growth in godliness is the means to personal assurance of salvation. Now, who does the calling? Who does the calling? God. Who does the electing? God. By the way, just a little side theology note on that. <clears throat> when somebody gets elected, there's a reason we say gets elected, right? Nobody elects themselves, right? Are y'all with me? I'm just saying. I mean, you just got to let the words say what they say. Don't mess with them. Don't twist them. Just read them and deal with it. God does the calling. You know, Peter gave us the answer in his first letter. 1 Peter 1, 1. To God's elect, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Why am I a child of God? Because God chose me according to his foreknowledge, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. How did it happen? The Holy Spirit came and changed my heart. The Bible says in Ezekiel 36 and 37, he, take, he took out a heart of stone, he put in a heart of flesh. He did that by his Spirit, that text says. Salvation prophesied in the Old Testament, I love it. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood as his Holy Spirit took out the heart of stone, put in a heart, took out the heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh, that enabled me to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and be sprinkled and cleansed by his blood. What a beautiful picture of salvation. God does the calling, God does the choosing. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The classic passage on all of this is Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of who? Everybody? No, of those who love him. And why do they love him? They've been called. who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified... He also glorified. Paul starts back at the beginning and works forward. He starts back before time and said, God said his love on you before the world began. And then in time, he called you and he justified you and he sanctified you. He's going to glorify you one day. Peter, in our text, works from the present backwards. And he says, you need to make your calling, that thing that happened to you at salvation, that, that was in your history, and your election, that thing that God did before the time began in, in setting his love on you, you need to make it sure. Again, 2 Peter 1, verse 10 from the New Living Translation. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. You see, there's no doubt who does the calling and who does the choosing, but we can live with assurance that we are called by God, that we are chosen by God. Hear me. We can live with that assurance. Hear me. Only if, 
we are growing in godliness. That's what this text is teaching. If you are living in sin, you should have no assurance of your salvation. Because you see, you're living like an unbeliever at that point. Does that mean you can't still be a believer? No, but it means you shouldn't have assurance of your salvation. The Bible never says, hey, listen, when you get out there and sin, just don't worry about it. Just lay back and enjoy it. You know what? If you want to take a few laps in the sin pool, don't worry about it. God's grace has got you. You find that verse in the Bible and come talk to me if you have any disagreement. It's not there. Now, the Bible says that with the breath of repentance, your sins are forgiven, your union with Christ and your fellowship with God is is restored. Absolutely. The Bible even makes it clear you don't lose your salvation when you're out there in sin. But in that most moments of sin, as you're wallowing in the mud of sin, as a believer, you should have no assurance of your salvation. Does that make you uncomfortable? That's Peter's point. Have you ever doubted or questioned your salvation? Have you? I have. Have you? That's okay. I mean, if you haven't, uh, I mean... I don't know. If you're ha- either you're super spiritual or I don't know. We all, at points, wrestle with that, I think. Peter is showing us, though, that in this passage, how we can live with great assurance of salvation by intentionally and with all effort putting his promises and power to work in our lives as we act the miracle, we make progress in godliness and thereby find assurance that we are his. Because guess what? We look like his. Are you with me? We look like his. He's empowering us. He's doing it in us. He's changing us. He's making us holy. But it's real clear that we're connected to him when we live holy. I mean, this isn't rocket science, is it? It's pretty simple math, isn't it? This is not the only place we're commanded to grow and advance in godliness. The word encourages us to fight the good fight of faith and to take hold on eternal life. 1 Timothy 6, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings to so closely and run with perseverance the race set before us, Hebrews 12, to press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in Philippians 3. And over in 1 John, John tells us that whoever claims to live in Christ must live as Jesus did. What a powerful verse. You say you know him, you say you're in Christ, then you ought to look like him, John says. Jesus said, so simply and yet profoundly, a good tree produces good fruit. Growth in godliness is the means to personal, sal- to personal assurance of salvation. And there's more to it than that. In the rest of verses 10 and 11, hear it. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, two things happen when we are working hard, using all God's given us, and growing in godliness. Two things happen. First of all, it says we will never stumble. Now, this does not mean that we, can't, <clears throat> that we can get to the place that we never sin. 
But it does mean that when we are actively and intensely pursuing Christ-likeness through the promises of God and by his power, we make our footing firm and our steps sure in him. And when we're living this way, pursuing this life in the power and the promises of God, then we're less apt to stumble into sin. Now, are we clear I will still sin after this message. You will still sin after this message, but you have the capacity from God to grow in godliness. And when you are growing in godliness, there's a certain protection in that by the Holy Spirit. There's a certain strength in that by the Holy Spirit from sin. The second thing that that happens when we are working hard, using all God's given us and growing in godliness, we will receive, and I love this picture, we will receive a rich welcome to heaven. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share your master's happiness. The Greek text puts it in the right order, literally, for so richly will be supplied to you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So richly it will be given to you. Going home will be sweet for you. And when you get there, you won't have to be ashamed in that moment. John MacArthur says, now all Christians are going to enter the kingdom. But some of us are going to enter and all our works will be burned up, right? 1 Corinthians 3. And we'll be saved so as by fire just sliding in. And some will go in, though, with rich rewards because our works have been gold, silver, and precious stone. That's who you want to be, amen? You want to be the one that shows up with a God-given life of godliness. Fruits of the Spirit that have been manifested all throughout your earthly history. So that your works aren't burned up like wood, hay, and stubble, but they're precious testimonies to the good grace of God powerfully at work in your life. Growth in godliness is the means to personal assurance of salvation. So here's the application. Are you making every effort towards moral excellence? Are you making every effort to increase your knowledge of God's character and his will? Am I making every effort to strengthen my power of self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we making every effort to enlarge our capacities for patience? Are we making every effort to cultivate godliness, to develop a heart for God? Are we making every effort to grow warm in our affection for our fellow believers? And are we making every effort to stir up in our own hearts love for the person we dislike the most? Enemy love. That's what the cross is all about, it's enemy love. Right? For while we were still sinners, what did God do? He demonstrated his love for us and he sent Christ to die for us right then. Enemies. Enemy love. You see, if these things are in you and increasing, you will not be fruitless, verse 8 says. You will never stumble, verse 10, and you will enter the kingdom of Christ, verse 11.
But if these things are not your earnest concern, then it is because you have shut your eyes to the beauty of God's promises and have forgotten the humble exhilaration of being forgiven. In our relationship with him, we saw it last week, God has given us everything we need to follow Jesus. The question is, are you, am I, using everything God has given us, his promises and his power, to grow in godliness so that we have great assurance of our salvation? You see, if we will work hard, Peter teaches us, using all we have in Christ to grow in godliness, you and I can live with great assurance of our salvation. Do you have that? God wants you to have it. And Peter's told you how to get it. Let's pray.